More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Second hour of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show is rocking and rolling. Thanks for being here with us. 800-282-2882 on those phone lines. Remember to go, go to clayandbuck.com for transcripts of the show and check out our podcast, the Clay and Buck Show on the iHeart app. The Buck Sexton Show podcast comes out in the morning, a little preview perhaps of some of what we're going to talk about on the show and an appetizer for your ears. Um, and we want to hit an all-time high for Clay and Buck downloads this month, please. So make sure that uh, you help us in that goal or else. Because I want to go to a Texas A&M football game. Now I'm getting choosy about where we go. I said, uh, Uncle Clay, I want to go to a Texas A&M football game now after my time in Houston. So we're hoping to get that done next fall. But two Number things I one recruiting into. class in the nation, Bucks. So there's going to be a, uh, a lot of good Texas A&M Aggie football in the years ahead. I think you'll have an awesome time there. Count me in. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, So every SEC football game I go to, when I'm there, of course, that is my favorite SEC team. That's the way this works. So I'm excited. Yes, you're a yearly free agent. Yeah. So here we are now in the midst of two things going on in the background of all the stuff with Ukraine, the war and everything. We'll take a, a pause on that for a second. You have the final stage of COVID restriction and regulation and all that. Almost gone everywhere, although not everywhere. So let's remember that there's still some random, arbitrary and capricious COVID restriction. And anyone who says, oh, Buck, this is not my problem. Really? Go fly in a plane. Go fly in a plane. And you'll still have people walking. You'll still have them over the loudspeakers. Mask up between bites. You're like, what? There is no such thing as a mask that is effective when you mask up between bites. But we'll get into that in a moment. First, I want to talk about the the controversy surrounding the quote. They're calling it the don't say gay bill. Now, that is the terminology of LG LGBTQ plus activist to attack the bill and to attack specifically the Ron DeSantis component or rather Ron DeSantis as the governor of Texas and whether he will sign this or not. It's actually called a lot of people will be hearing this the first the parental rights in education bill. And what's happened is LGBTQ activists, 
have dubbed it the Don't Say Gay Bill. Here's what it actually does. You cannot teach in the state of Florida under this bill lessons about sexuality, sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity to pre-K to third graders. That's what's actually... Now, now I would go beyond just that's entirely reasonable to why the heck would someone be outraged at the notion that you shouldn't be teaching the school? Parents can teach their kids about these things as they see fit as parents, right? That's that's part of the parental rights in education. Parents should have that conversation with kids. Clay, why would someone want to, as a matter of state policy, instruct five-year-olds in sex, sexuality, and gender identity? You're a parent. I'm not. What, what do you think about this? I mean, to me, it strikes me as what the heck is wrong with these people? It seems very reasonable not to be having those conversations with kindergartners and first graders and pre-K and second graders and third graders to me as a parent in school. But if you disagree, the great thing about being a parent is you are not limited to what your kids learn in school. You can sit down and have conversations with them about any number of subjects that you feel are important to me. And I've raised three boys or working on raising three boys. My kids are 14, 11 and seven. There are conversations. This is not going to shock anybody that I can have with a 14 year old and that I need to have with a 14 year old that are totally different than conversations that I can have with a seven year old. And this is crazy. I mean, trying to think how to phrase this without uh, without getting uh, the case. There's young kids out there in the car. Santa Claus for kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders is a big deal. That's a normal conversation that you have. You're excited for Santa Claus to come to town. That conversation for a ninth, a tenth, and eleventh grader is totally different, right? Take it outside of the realm of something that's culturally charged and just talk about how you discuss Santa Claus with young kids compared to what you would say with teenagers. This doesn't seem like a crazy idea at all, and I think it's evidence. This is what I think is going on. I think that Democrats are so utterly aware that they're going to get destroyed in 2022 that they are desperate to find something to attack Ron DeSantis with in Florida as the governor's race comes up there. And so they are manufacturing issues because they totally failed on the biggest issue, which is COVID. And this is why I think ultimately maybe the Supreme Court is going to give Democrats a little bit of a gift here as it pertains to the timing of the uh, of the Roe v. Wade case that they're hearing with Mississippi and Texas, because if they make a big decision there, and by the way, I don't think it's going to be a big decision. I think they're going to uphold Mississippi and strike down in some way what Texas is doing. That's my prediction. But Democrats are desperate to find something, Buck, to hang their hat on other than COVID, other than the border, other than the murder rate, other than Ukraine, and other than what's going on with Afghanistan. And so they're going to go all in on issues like these and claim, oh, Republicans are awful reprobates for not wanting to talk about gay issues with kindergartners. That's the line they're going to try to play, and they're going to argue it's saying something that it isn't. This is the only time you've seen uh, recently some kind of pushback to parental rights. Parental involvement in education has been a huge winner for republicans now stretching back for over a year we saw this because of what parents saw during covid critical race theory training the shutdown of schools the masking of kids all of this it has been the gop that says hold on a second parents should get more of a say here 
Parents should be able to speak out of the school board meetings. Then you had the Biden administration putting out that weird memo about uh, or, you know, DOJ under the, under Biden that we, this is essentially like domestic terrorists for these parents to show up. And there's FBI agents looking into this, which was completely outrageous and should be remembered going forward as we see a lot of the tactics used to silence dissent in places like Canada. They'll do it here, too. But, Clay, here is Ron DeSantis, who is not going to he's just not going to you know, he's not going to take it. He's not going to yeah. take it anymore. Sorry. Whatever. You know what I mean? He's not going to take it on the lies here uh, about what the don't say gay bill uh, is. Because, first of all, it's not called that. It's the Parental Rights and Education Bill. So I'm sorry to use it. But just to see that propaganda line's caught on. People are going on marches now just shouting gay, gay, gay. There's video of this out there. Ron DeSantis is like, stop lying about this. Parental rights and education, what critics call the don't say gay bill is on the Senate. Floor. Does it say that in the bill? No, that you support. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you. I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because I'm you are pushing you. false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. It says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For grades pre-K through three, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. So, Clay, I mean, you know, first of all, Ron DeSantis is great when it comes to dealing with the media and their fake narratives. But I mean, I even think I'm not a parent, but I remember uh, I think I was I think it was the third. It might have been the fourth grade. I remember the first time I had, you know, the, the birds and the bees talk and it didn't come from my parents. Initially, it came from an old a student a year ahead of me who just randomly were out going on the sports field. You know, were playing like, uh, you know, kickball or, or soccer or something. He grabs me. and He goes, do you know where babies come from? <laughs> and I said, no. And he goes, it's when you poke a lady in her belly button, then a baby comes out. Now, technically not really true, but then I went and I had a talk with my mom and my dad, yeah. and I and they kind of explained where babies came from. It turns out not from just the belly button. But the point being, that's you know, parents should be involved in that. I always remember that. I was like terrified. I was that's like, pop really quiz, funny. I'm gonna fail. Um, anyway, <laughs> but you know, I want to talk to my parents about this. But I feel like for so many people, that's you know, there are sensitive sensitive issues, things that come up, and and that's where parental rights come in. No one's saying you can't teach about you know safe. You know, they, they did. I remember this. They did this in my high school. Safe sex practices and all that kind of stuff. I think we were uh, freshman in high school, sixth grade when I was in grammar school. We had some health class where they got into some of this stuff it's just about the age five six and seven year olds when you are yes that's exactly right when you're hitting puberty it's important to have biological conversations with kids about what is happening to them that doesn't happen in kindergarten first grade second grade third grade my wife is great on uh, topics like these because that's the other thing is you should let your kid choose their gender and respect it when they're like in first grade. That's an argument of transgender advocates. And my wife, we were having this conversation. It's like, I don't let our kids pick what food they eat in first grade, because if they did, they would pick uh, candy, cake. Uh, you know, We don't allow kids to pick their meals when they're kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And we're going to allow them to pick their gender. And certainly if we're not allowing them to pick their meals, we don't need to be having a larger conversation about society and sex roles 
uh, for young kids. But again, this is the desperation because I think, look, the Democrats are aware, even though they won't acknowledge it, that they got crushed on masks and that they're wrong and that the vast majority of the American public, team reality as we call them, has lined up. And we need to play uh, the ridiculous clip uh, from the new New York City mayor here, maybe in the next segment about what's going on there. Democrats are aware that they lost the battle on whether America is an awful racist place because parents don't believe that and they don't believe that they should their kids should be being taught that, which is effectively what critical race theory is. And so they're looking for something in the classrooms where they can win a battle to try to change the narrative of what is going on in public schools. They're going to lose this one too, I think, but there will be, you say Disney's getting pressure. Have you seen this? They want Disney to speak out and say something about this Florida bill when I think most people out there listening, regardless of whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent, if you've raised young kids, preschoolers, kindergartners, first graders, second graders, third graders, they don't need to be enmeshed in human sexuality discussions. Yeah, and also, I, I if I were a parent... I'm not yet, but if I were a parent, I wouldn't want some bureaucrat randomly being the one that introduces my child to this kind of discussion. I would want to have some time period as a child grows and develops a little bit where we could have a, you know, father, son or father, daughter, et cetera, discussion or, you know, mother, son, mother, daughter. We'll come back into this in a second, though, on the masking of children um, and how it's still going on in New York City schools. Then we've got a guest who's going to deep dive for us into where are we now with the China reaction to the war in Ukraine and how would that affect possible plans for Taiwan? That's just at the bottom of the hour. There's no substitute for family and the good memories of shared times together, particularly those most important cherished moments. Legacy Box is the company here in America that does the best job of digitally transferring those moments and memories that you have on videotapes stored up over the past 30 years or so. So many people have saved every one of those video cassettes thinking one day, one day, You'll get the gear. You'll transfer it yourself. Now, come on. Here's a better idea. Hire Legacy Box to do this for you. It's so easy. I've done it. My family's done it. My brother did it for my parents. Right now, Legacy Box is running a $9 videotape sale. $9 is all they're charging per videotape to hand transfer each of your videotapes, no matter the length of the tape. If you have 10 tapes to transfer, that's $90. 20 tapes, $180. You get the idea. There's never been a better time to convert your entire collection. Legacy Box makes this easy. They'll ship you a box to fill up. They'll ship it back. You ship it back to them in Tennessee. They go to work hand transferring with real care all of your tapes. Then they ship it all back to you along with a video link online for you to see those family movies again. Or you can get it on a thumb drive or DVD. This deal won't last forever. Act on it today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Buck and shop their $9 tape sale. That's LegacyBox.com slash Buck to get this great first time offer. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We roll through the Tuesday edition of the program. Go sign up for the podcast. Monster numbers continuing to roll in. We want to set another record in March. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton, you can search out our names. Go subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a moment of this program. So we were talking about the uh, the masking issue yesterday in New York City. They've done away with vaccine mandates to get into bars, restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, all those things. Uh, they also have done away with kids having to wear masks in schools. And by the way, most kids immediately stopped wearing masks because they don't want to wear masks. And their parents recognize now that masks make no impact. But what's crazy is they are still mandating masks For kids under the age of five. Let me repeat that. So if you're in kindergarten through 12th grade now in New York City schools, you don't have to wear a mask. If you are a two, a three, a four-year-old, and you are in pre-K or you're in daycare, you are still required to wear a mask in New York City. This makes absolutely no sense because younger kids are under even less risk. It doesn't make sense for a 16-year-old to be wearing a mask, but a 16-year-old is statistically far more in danger from COVID, even though it's virtually zero danger, than a 2-year-old is. So to the credit of the media member here, New York City Mayor Eric Adams was asked about why that discrepancy existed. He said that it was necessary to keep New York from having to go back into a lockdown. I wish I was making this up. A group of parents brought me and talked to their children and explained to them. I told them, you're going to be taking off your mask like your big brothers and sisters are doing now. You know, when when you have big brothers and sisters, sometimes they do things first to make sure it's safe for you. And those children, they understand it because they trust their parents and they trust their leadership. They're not tainted like adults. <laughs> you know, They still feel uh, that we have to make the right decisions for them. And I'm with the parents. I want those masks off. I said it in January. 
library, but I have to do it right to make sure our city uh, protects its children and don't close down the city again. No, no, no. I mean, Clay, I, I, we're not letting this go. We're not letting it go. Here, the, here the, the new mayor is saying, I'm with parents. I want the masks. Then say the masks come off the kids. Don't be an idiot. The masks, this is what we're, we're seeing. Masks are the least necessary for children, the least likely to work even if masks did work, which they don't because of how children will actually interact with them day in and day out. And lockdowns, shutting down the city, didn't work. So he's saying we can't stop doing this thing that doesn't work in order to prevent doing another thing that we now know doesn't work, which I think now this is this is like the definition of covid mania that and also where's Fauci? I think he fell on the couch cushion. Someone should go look for him. Uh, the anti-science aspect here. If you are fine with kindergarten through 12th graders not wearing masks, there is zero data to support that two, three, and four-year-olds need to wear masks. So, And then the idea that if they stop wearing masks, that there's going to be necessity of lockdowns. I, I give credit to Eric Adams because he's been better than Bill de Blasio. Now, granted, that is not a very high bar to reach, but he does seem to be trying to get New York City back to normalcy and to have some semblance of an idea that the crime rate is a major issue and that New York as a tourist hub cannot return to normalcy as long as you're requiring vaccine passports and masks. But there's no reasonable basis, no data to support whatsoever the idea that two-year-olds need to be wearing a mask in New York City and saying, hey, those kids understand that older kids don't have to do things uh, yeah, that makes sense when we talk about kids aging and the way we treat them, like, by the way, the bill in Florida, which says kindergartners should be talked to about sex-related issues different than 7th and 8th graders. It doesn't make sense in mass. I uh, want to tell you, as we roll into this break, everybody's trying to save money. we got an all-time high in gas prices, and mortgage rates are going to be going up very soon. Do you know you could save $1,000 a month just by getting hooked up with a new mortgage at American Financing. Think about how much $12,000 a year difference could make for you. I know everybody's busy, but this call only takes 10 minutes. And instead of arguing with your wife or your husband about whether you called or not, how about one of you guys just grabs your phone right now and calls American Financing at 800-777-8109. Put your financial house in order. Make the decision to save tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even a hundred thousand or more over the life of your loan, 800-777-8109, AmericanFinancing.net. What is China going to do as U.S. sanctions escalate against Russia and as the conflict in Ukraine continues to become more violent and threatens to bring in further outside actors what is china doing in the midst of all this we've got somebody who's thought about written about this a lot stephen Mosier, president of the population research institute and author of a dozen books on china including his latest bully of asia why china's dream is the new threat to world order stephen thanks so much for being with us well it's good to be with you guys so you had a piece in the new york post uh, just a couple of days ago with U.S. distracted by Ukraine, she is plotting his own invasion. We've been talking about this possibility for months. How sure are you that that is the Chinese 
a strategy in response to Ukraine? And, and what indicators are we seeing? Well, we're seeing for the last few years, of course, uh, multiple indicators. We have uh, repeated incursions. I think we're up to a couple thousand incursions by Russian uh, Chinese fighters and bombers into Taiwan airspace. Uh, we have repeated threats from Beijing that if Taipei were to move in the direction of independence, declare, declare independence, that that would be a red line that would trigger an invasion. And we see the building up in, uh, of an amphibious force for the first time in China, which is what they would need to uh, to invade Taiwan on the beaches. So, so there are all kinds of signs. And uh, actually, Xi Jinping is behind schedule because the emperor of China said he was going to retake Taiwan by 2020. It's now 2022. It seems to be the attack seems to have been delayed by his uh, releasing a, uh, a uh, bioweapon on the world, killing six million people. Um, so he's pushed back his timetable. But make no mistake, he wants to be the great unifier, uh, just as Vladimir Putin wants to uh, reestablish the old Russian Empire. So the leader of China wants to take back all of the lost territories, first and foremost, Taiwan. But also there are lots of territories around China's periphery that once belonged to the Chinese empire that I think Xi Jinping would like to get back. Some of them are in, China, in Russia, by the way. Would we see a major uh, national response, international response, I should say, akin to what we have seen with Russia invading Ukraine if China invaded Taiwan? Or is China's position in the global stratosphere of economic uh, relationships so much more significant that there would not be an ability to isolate China and impose sanctions on them? Well, that's a very interesting question because uh, Xi Jinping is looking at Ukraine as a test case and judging from the reaction of the West what sort of reaction he's likely to get if he moves into Taiwan. Now, I would argue that Taiwan has much more strategic significance uh, than Ukraine does because Ukraine is a grain basket. We feel sympathy for the people of Ukraine. But look, 94% of the chips in the world are made in Taiwan. If you lose Taiwan, you lose the vast majority of the chip manufacturing capability of the world. And China engages in economic warfare. Uh, look at what they've done to Australia. They've banned 16 different Australian products. Uh, so they, they would not hesitate to use their control of chips to, uh, to dominate other countries. And then if you, if Taiwan falls, you give the Chinese Navy open access to the Pacific and the next stop is Hawaii and the West Coast to the United States. Right now, the Chinese Navy is hemmed in by what? By South Korea, by Japan, uh, by the island chain down to Taiwan through the Philippines and into the South China Sea. If they get Taiwan, uh, they have deep water ports. We're speaking to Stephen Mosier. He's president of the Population Research Institute. He's got a piece with the U.S. distracted by Ukraine. She is plotting his own invasion in the New York Post. Stephen, how do you think? I mean, we're watching right now a contest between a relative superpower with Russia, certainly a regional superpower against what had been and is a an outgunned and outmanned Ukraine. But Ukraine seems to be, by most analyses, although there's a lot of back and forth on this, punching considerably above its weight and causing real problems for the Russian invasion. How do you foresee an actual Chinese invasion of Taiwan going? Is it possible that Taiwanese could also put up a very stiff resistance that might not just complicate things, but even thwart China's ambitions? Well, I think we ought to complicate things for China right now. I think we ought to clearly uh, arm Taiwan 
and uh, to the point where it becomes a, a kind of porcupine, and any invading force that comes across the Taiwan Straits would uh, wind up with a bunch of quills in their face and a bunch of ships on the bottom, the troop transports on the bottom of the Taiwan Straits. So what's in Taiwan's favor is that 77% of the people of Taiwan say they would take up arms and fight against the communist Chinese invaders, number one. Number two, they've got a 90-mile-wide moat, which is a pretty good moat, and amphibious landings are not easy to carry off. We did it in World War II. We've had a lot of practice. China has zero uh, practice in that regard. So they could go badly very, very quickly. Um, so I think those things are weighing in, in uh, Taiwan's favor. Uh, against that, of course, you'd have to say, as you pointed out, uh, China has a population 10 times that of Russia. It has a, a an economy 10 times that of Russia. It has a much larger navy. Uh, so that weighs in, in China's favor. But if things go badly for Putin, and I kind of suspect they will, uh, that he's going to reach some sort of compromise, withdraw his troops, uh, then Taiwan uh, is going to be safe for some years to come. Um, make no mistake, you know, Xi Jinping has much grander ambitions than Putin does. I mean, Putin wants to be, you know, the reincarnation of uh, Peter the Great. He wants to reestablish greater Russia, you know, striding ruthlessly over greater Russia's imperial domains. But Xi Jinping, like Chinese em em emperors past, is pursuing a much more grandiose vision. Uh, he wants to rule over all under heaven. That's what Tian Xiao, which is how you say it in Chinese. All under heaven means literally everything. So he doesn't want, he won't be satisfied with just Taiwan. Uh, he wants to extend his reach throughout Asia. And, and I wouldn't be surprised now that Putin is the supplicant in the relationship. Now that Putin, uh, and Russia are the junior partner in the relationship with China, uh, that, uh, that, that he wouldn't want to encroach on Russia at some point as well. So Putin ought to be careful. He's in, in, in dealing with Xi, uh, you know, his frenemy, right? His frenemy, friend or enemy, it can switch from day to day. He has to be very careful because China has global ambitions. Stephen, how would we commit troops, actual boots on the ground troops to defend Taiwan, in your opinion, because we have the strategic ambiguity policy, which is constantly being sort of hemmed and hawed on, but we've never really said. And if we did, would South Korea, would Japan, would Australia would any European countries, and how quickly could we get there in the event of an invasion? Kind of take me into China begins the invasion and the United States does what? Well, I, I wrote a book about this called China Attacks back 20 years ago. <laughs> and, of course, it was a novel, but I, I sort of imagine how the attack would take place and how we might get involved. Uh, it, the best the best way to defend against a, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan is simply to put the Seventh Fleet in the way, have the Seventh Fleet patrolling uh, the Taiwan Straits. That's what we did in the in the offshore islands crises in 1958 under President Eisenhower, former general who knew what he was doing. Um, he was asked uh, about an invasion of Taiwan, and he said any invasion of Taiwan will have to run over the Seventh Fleet, and it never happened. Australia and Japan have both said that they would contribute to the defense of Taiwan. So there's already a kind of, of uh, uh, alliance forming, which has upset China. Uh, China's foreign minister just said yesterday that he's very upset about the fact that the U.S. seems to be creating a, a NATO in Asia. Well, we're not creating a NATO in Asia. My goodness, the Chinese Communist Party is creating a NATO in Asia by being constantly aggressive against its near neighbors and forcing them countries like India and and uh, and uh, Japan and Australia to join together and ask us for help. So 
they're forging the alliance that they claim to be threatened by. Stephen Mosier, thank you so much. His piece is up on clanbuck.com about how Xi Jinping is preparing for his own invasions. We are all focused on Ukraine. Stephen, appreciate the expertise. Thanks for being with us. Good to talk to you. There are some expenses associated with your car that you can't control, like the current cost of filling your tank. It's going to get rough. But there are other expenses you actually can have control over. One of them is vehicle maintenance protection plans through CarShield. Whatever the mileage is in your vehicle today, it doesn't matter. It can be 1,000 miles or 200,000 miles. CarShield has monthly coverage options for all budgets. And they make it so easy to get your car fixed. When it's time for needed covered repairs, you choose the mechanic you like, and CarShield administrators take care of the rest. Plans through CarShield also provide rental car options as well as roadside assistance, and that's included in your plan. CarShield has helped millions of drivers to date, making them America's number one auto protection company. Now getting coverage is easy. Contact CarShield for your free quote, then tell them about your vehicle. Finally, choose the type of protection you need. That's all you got to do. If you like your car and you don't want to replace it, get coverage today. Go to carshield.com slash Clay and Buck or call 800-391-8888 to save 10% on your plan that's carshield.com slash Clay and Buck or call 800-391-8888 to save 10%. A deductible may apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know 
Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Uh, It was an interesting conversation about what might happen going forward uh, in the uh, situation with China and Taiwan. we got a lot of people who want to weigh in on a variety of different uh, topics. Uh, Sue in North Carolina. Let's take a couple of your calls here. Sue, what you got for us? Yes, hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? It's the greatest. Thank you. Thank you. Miss Rush, but you guys are real close. Thank you. Um, we miss Rush, too. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I had a question. Uh, well, actually, two short ones. Um, I, I did some research on the percentage of oil that we get from Russia. What I'm trying to understand is if this percentage that I got 6% um, is that low, I'm wondering why are our gas prices going up so fast and s- such exorbitantly if – if this is this seems like a very low percentage, I think it's oil. around ten percent is the number that I've seen. I'm not sure what number you've seen, Buck, but it's not different, obviously, that much than the number that you are talking about as well. The larger issue is the degree to which we're concerned about oil and gas coming into this country, right? In an ideal world, we would not even have to consider bringing in oil and gas from anywhere else, and thankfully. We have created some energy independence for ourselves thanks to the oil and gas industry in this country. I think yesterday with Trish Regan, uh, she was discussing the amount of oil and gas that's produced by this country compared to maybe what's in the ground in Saudi Arabia and what's in the ground in Venezuela. And we don't have necessarily the uh, the long-range history of oil in the ground that those other countries have. Um, but look, I mean, I, I think... The overall issues, remember, it's a global marketplace for oil and gas. So Europe is uh, having to pay more and having more difficulty getting oil and gas, which drives up the, cr- the cost there. It's not just what the price is going to be for this good in the United States, right? Uh, so I think that's worth considering. And again, to what extent are we able, not only us, but also Russia, because uh, if if Russia is gas is not being overwhelmingly purchased by Europe, Europe's going to have to replace that somewhere else, which is going to drive up the cost for other providers as well. Right. It's a global uh, issue with trying to figure out how many barrels are going to how many different places around the world. And there's also speculation that that affects all this, too, where people yes. start to wonder. And Clay, you brought up to me before the price of wheat right now is skyrocketing, skyrocketing. Right. And this is this is anticipating supply shortages uh and and being reflected in the market same thing is true with oil too it's not just what the price of oil is today it's what the market believes the price of oil will be in 30 days and 90 days and and that also can have a major effect and this is you're you're seeing all the economic indicators right now that you would want for a healthy economy things are trending very much now in the wrong and, and for wheat, by the way, people might be out there. This is the biggest impact of Ukraine. Ukraine produces a huge percentage of the global wheat uh, it, it all over the, the world. The breadbasket or the, the grain basket, so to speak, of the Soviet Union, which is part of why it was, uh, you know, it's the Soviet policy that led to the Holodomor was because of the industrialization of the five year plan under Stalin. They. They changed the way they liquidated the kulaks who were independent farmers as a class. This is back in the Soviet Union, late 1930s uh, or sorry, early 1930s. Um, And they liquidated the kulaks as a class. 
And then there was a massive famine where millions of people, which is called the Holodomor in Ukraine, starved to death because that was the region of the that was the region that was supposed to provide the grain for the for much of the rest of the Soviet Union. But because of the industrialization policies and collective farms, people starved to death. A reminder that that's what happens when you put the government in charge of an entire economy and they're a bunch of commies. And the wheat prices are skyrocketing to such an extent, which immediately then filters into everything else, right? So inflation is 7.5%. I would be very surprised if we're not going to double-digit inflation, almost just based on the price of gas by itself. But when you look at what's happening with oil, I mean, with wheat prices, uh, I don't think that's getting anywhere near the same amount of attention, but they are skyrocketing at an even higher rate and faster rate than the price of oil is right now. We got Suzanne in Liverpool, New York. I'm from New York. I didn't even know there was a Liverpool, New York. Good to know. Suzanne, thanks so much. Here here we are. It's it's sunny but cold. You got me thinking about when you were talking about the volunteers and the people fighting in the Ukraine. The 18 to 34-year-olds took me back to 9-11 when my husband and my uncle saw the, the the towers going down. My aunt called me and she said, "My this my Uncle Marsh. Marsh wants to talk to Pete. And they hung up and all of a sudden my husband is running around the house here and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for my tan jacket. What for? Because Marsh has got the guns in the car, and we are going down to New York City. They had both served in World War II, and they were ready to go again. They were both 86 years old. Wow. And it got, and it got me to thinking, how will our 18 to 34-year-olds act if it should come to such in this country again, it's it's, it's uh, very interesting, Suzanne. And I, you know, I that's such a great story, pe- by the way, too. Yeah, people uh, talk thank about you for the call, the greatest generation. I mean, Clay, I'm sure you know. You go back in your lineage, you had people who served in in the big one in World War II, or, or perhaps other U.S. conflicts in the past. We have a we have a warrior class in this country. In essence, we have a volunteer military, and we have people who are warriors, and they've been fighting our wars now for for many decades. If we had a an all-hands-on-deck situation, so to speak, with that, going back to that poll, Quinnipiac poll, there are a lot of people, in, in World War II, it was, if you were of age and your number got called, you were going, basically, right? I think there are a lot of people right now in this country because of what they've been told about America who would not want to go, even That's if my- it was an, an attack, an invasion of the homeland. That's why, and for those of you who missed that discussion, I'd encourage you to go listen to the first hour podcast. But 18 to 34 year olds were less likely to be willing to fight if America was invaded than those who are 65 and older. And that to me was a staggering part. Now, also, it was disgusting that the average Democrat, only 40% of Democrats, were willing to fight if we were invaded like Ukraine is being invaded. But the 18 to 34 group, who would theoretically be the lifeblood of most armies, was the least likely to be willing to fight to defend the United States in the event we were attacked. And that is wildly alarming. Fantastic story, though, about. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Those World War II veterans. 